Well, good morning. After the first service, um, a man came to me and talked to me, and he, he'd been in the first service, and he was an engineer, and he said, I really liked what you had to say, but man, didn't understand a lot of it. I was a little troubled by that. <laughs> See, at the beginning of the week, when I was preparing this message, meaning the meaning of life, I've got somebody telling you, I want you to speak on the meaning of life. Um, I prepared this thing. I, I kind of looked it over as outline. It was like a dissertation that would take three hours to give. And, you know, I don't know who would come to it. I wouldn't. But uh, <laughs> I really worked this, this week trying to bring it down to something useful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really make it simple now that that person challenged me in that way. We're talking about the gospel of modern life and what the modern world faces and all the different things that, that we are facing today that are so different than the people who have gone before us. The fact is that all of us have had an experience at some point where we've looked up at the stars, maybe on vacation or something like that, and we've sort of pondered, what is this, this vast universe about? What is, why do I exist? Is there any meaning to life? Is there any purpose to my existence? Does it matter what I do from day to day? This thing that is uh, here is so huge, and I am so small and so temporary. Thankfully, most of the time, we aren't thinking about those things. We do it once in a while on vacation, but the human mind just isn't capable of really pondering ultimate meaning for very long. So I, I'm, I'm going to, to make this as short as I can so that I'm not taxing you to think about it for very long. But you probably have heard at some point modern life, contemporary life, described as a crisis of meaning. That, that's something that's talked about by college professors and philosophers, but it's also things that are talked about by philosophers and police chiefs and all kinds of people. It's often noted that contemporary life seems to be characterized by a crisis of meaning. At one time, human beings understood their place in the world, and now we don't. For countless generations, people lived in one location, and they rarely traveled more than 20 miles away from the place they were born. That was for hundreds and hundreds of years. But now, the rapidity of travel means that I have four children, and they live in four corners of the United States. Um, countless generations, communication was for as fast as a person could walk. And then it became as fast as a horse could ride, and that lasted for hundreds, thousands of years until a train. Then it could pass as fast as a train could travel. Well, now communication is instantaneous and worldwide. And what's happened is it spawned, spawned this sense of being part of a global community that people talk about. But a global community is only a pseudo-community. It's not real. And it's so confusing, this global community, that many people feel that, that human beings as a whole are having trouble grappling with this idea that all the world is a community and we have no way of evaluating all the thoughts that come our way, all of the ideas, all of the differences of culture and religion and philosophy and all of that. Social scientists wonder whether the outburst of emotional problems that seems to plague society at this time, a dramatic increase in things like anxiety and depression, 
and uh, anger and addictions, whether these have been intensified by this global sense that we've lost our sense of purpose in the world as human beings. And, and other people um, look at an incredible upsurge in social problems, an increase in crime in which it seems like almost weekly we hear of someone going off and, and shooting a few people at their workplace or school or whatever it is. That these things have been brought about along with the breakdown in the family and isolation of people from each other. That, that this confusion has been brought about by a crisis of meaning. And I want to think about that for a few minutes today. I want to think about meaning. You have to kind of define the three different ways in which we um, think of meaning so that we can talk about it. You kind of realize we use these words in different ways. One is you can talk about meaning in life as the comprehensive meaning of all of existence. Is there some unfolding plan that is working its way out to, to give a true meaning to everything that happens in the world? That's called meaning with capital, bold print letters, as I have it there. Then you can think about meaning, as most of us do at some point, as personal meaning. That is, a meaning for my life, a sense that I have some purpose or direction in life, that, that my life will make an impact, that the things I do overall are going to matter in some way to someone or ones. And then you can think about meaning as all small letters, just daily meaning. Now, Virtually everyone agrees that we create the last one. We give meaning to our lives. If, if a mother, young mother brings a baby home from the hospital, her life is given meaning. Her meaning is to keep that child alive and help it to thrive. That meaning isn't going to last forever, but it's going to occupy the beginning days of the child's life completely. Everything else will become secondary to that. But as the child begins to grow up, meaning will change. And so all of us do this as we move through life. We have an agenda that requires that we get certain things done. And doing those things provide us with a sense of meaning, at least for that day. We know that the next day, if this project is done, there's going to have to be other meaning that we ascribe. But that's just giving some pattern to our lives to accomplish something. So we can use meaning in those three sense, senses. But what I really want to talk about is sort of the first two is there some comprehensive meaning to existence, purpose for life? And do our lives have meaning? Can we know what it is at all? Is it true that modern life can be characterized by this sense of uh, a crisis in people's feeling of meaning to life? Does the Bible have anything to say about meaning and uh, how we should find meaning or whether we can find meaning in life? That's what we want to think about. Now, the place to start are, uh, is in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is um, the hardest book in the Bible, without exception. It's the hardest book to understand. Ecclesiastes, when you read it, seems to be, at first reading, kind of a scattering of some thoughts that go in two directions. You, you're going to read, if you've read other parts of the Bible, you're going to read verses that make perfect sense, and you say, yes, that's true. And you're going to read other verses that if you've read other, you know, the Bible, you, you're going to read them and say, that's not true. But it's being affirmed. You've got these things kind of put side by side, and it's really hard to sort out what exactly is the book about. What is he affirming? Is there something we can hold on to and understand? Well, there really is. And before we look at uh, what we want to draw from it, I want to note there's an interpretive key to the book 
that's found in the first chapter and then throughout almost every chapter. It says in chapter 1 and verse 3, what advantage or what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And he uses this phrase for the first time, under the sun. The book will use that phrase 25 more times in almost every chapter, ending in almost the last verse of the book. So it's, a, it's meant that for a careful reader, you start to ask yourself the question, why do they keep using this phrase, under the sun? Well, under the sun in the book, describes life lived in this world with a horizontal focus. If you think of life as just being horizontal, the only thing you have to go on and draw from are the things that you see and the things that you experience as a person. And so you move through life trying to figure out life and make sense of it by living on a horizontal plane that is being under the sun. And what Solomon says in the book is that he thought about life, all kinds of things in life, tried to make sense of it, and he did it by looking under the sun. Now, what it means is evaluating life without reference to a creator, meaning you, you don't include a vertical perspective that says there is someone outside of this horizontal world in which we find ourselves, who can reveal himself by breaking into our world and give us revelation. You're, you're not acknowledging that. When you think under the sun, as most of the world does, it's an evaluation that we human beings make in this vast and confusing life. It refers to the practice of looking at life without ascribing any meaningful involvement to God or any outside revelation of our place in the world. So you have to keep that in mind. This book is a contemplation, a seeking to find meaning and purpose and value in life under the sun. Now, with that in mind, I want to explore the, the message of the book. And I had Jennifer read three verses uh, that are right in the middle of the book. And it's really the beginning of the second half of the book in which he argues very forcefully one thing that we want to think about. But I want you to note he says in those verses, particularly in verse 12, for who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell, what, tell man what will be after him under the sun? Now, that, that states the message, but I understand it's difficult just to read that. But it begins to emphasize something that the last half of the book is going to emphasize over and over again. And it's the idea, it's not always these words, but it's the idea, what is good for man? Who knows what is good for man? Who knows what works? And I'm going to state the message this way. This is the message of the second half of Ecclesiastes. It's God's message to us. It's Solomon's conclusion about life looked at under the sun. Here's what he says. The human mind pondering life under the sun is incapable of discerning any ultimate comprehensive meaning to life. And it is incapable even of discerning the meaning of an individual human life. Let me say it again. The human mind, thinking about life on a horizontal plane, just gathering conclusions from the things we see around us in this world, all of the material things, all of our own experiences, the human mind under the sun is incapable of determining any ultimate meaning to life, or even seeing any purpose to an individual human life. The first two ideas of meaning. 
The human mind unaided is incapable of understanding meaning or ascribing meaning. And now that's God's word to us. Solomon says, I looked at life deeply throughout the book. I pondered life under the sun. And what I found is there is no discernible meta-meaning, ultimate meaning, universal, comprehensive purpose to existence, period. That's what we're asked to grapple with. Now, we have to ask why. I mean, how does he bear that out? Why did he come to this conclusion? There is no discernible meaning to life to the human mind if we just look under the sun. Well, let me just walk you through some of the argument of the book. It's called, you know, how he displays uh, carrying out what he believes. But he says, I'll just note three things. He says, first of all, um, we can't discern any ultimate meaning because um, both adversity and prosperity are beyond our control. What we find as we move through life is that we cannot guarantee prosperity or adversity. We don't know the future, is simply what he says. So he, he demonstrates that in chapter 7. And then in chapter 7, verse 14, look at his conclusion. This is like a, a backup conclusion to this idea that the human mind can't discern meaning. He says, 714, in the days of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Now, the simple idea is that we don't know the future. So we, we don't know how to guarantee or even whether we will experience either adversity or prosperity as we move through life. Both of those things are outside our control. In other words, the future is guaranteed by God, but it's completely unknown to us as we live our lives on this planet, and that's why we worry about the future. Secondly, he says not only is adversity and prosperity outside our control, we all learn that as we move through life, but secondly, um, we have no guarantee of justice that justice will prevail. He explains that we can't understand the ultimate purpose of life. We can't discern any pattern or meaning to life because justice doesn't always prevail. It's a sad fact of life that sometimes people who do very wicked things receive very good results in this life, and sometimes people who do the right thing every day experience evil things happening to them. We don't see justice always prevailing. If it always prevailed, you would know that there is an unalterable law that you should never break the rules of society because you're going to suffer the consequences and they'll be immediate and dramatic. But that's not the case. The two men in this last century, in the 20th century, who um, caused more human death than they, they vie for first place in all of human history, are Mao Zedong, the communist dictator of China, and Joseph Stalin, the communist dictator of the Soviet Union. They each brought about the deaths of somewhere between 50 and 125 million people in their respective countries by the decisions that they made. It's almost unfathomable. But both of those men died full of life. To use the biblical phrase of the patriarchs, they died in their beds, an old man and full of days. Like they, they lived a full life. They didn't experience the consequences of the incredible destruction that they had wreaked in human life. 
Why can't we discern any ultimate meaning? Because justice doesn't always prevail. Look at chapter 8 and verse 14 where he draws this conclusion. He says there is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And do you see his conclusion? We can't guarantee that there's going to be justice as a result of wickedness or there, there, there's going to be um, reward for righteousness. We don't see that always working its way out in this life. We can't discern the pattern. So how can we see any ultimate meaning to all of the things that happen in our days? And then lastly, he said again, why can't we discern any ultimate meaning in life? Well, it's because we have no assurance that our own life's work will make any difference. That's the conclusion he comes to in chapter 12. We have no way of determining whether or not our life will make any difference to anyone. It's an instructive thing for people periodically to walk through a cemetery and to look at the gravestones. And sometimes you'll find a gravestone maybe less than 50 years old, but you can tell it's never been tended. No one's ever looked at it overgrown with moss and weeds or whatever. And you read the person's name and you think no one seems to know that this person ever existed. And it may be true. Maybe a person whose relatives buried him and never thought about him again. No one ever faced a grave. And you ought to ponder, well, I'd be like that person. Well, I'd be like those tens of thousands of graves that we could find in our own county of people who are long forgotten. No one remembers them. How can we guarantee that our life has any ultimate meaning or purpose or value? We really can't. Now, that's what God says to us. That's why he draws this conclusion. He says, listen, we can't determine prosperity or adversity. We don't know the future for ourselves. We can't uh, see that justice always works out in this fallen world. We can't even guarantee that our lives are going to fulfill any purpose. So how could we ever conclude that there is an ultimate meaning that we could understand? And that's God's word to us. That's what Scripture affirms. The human life, the human mind, seeing life under the sun, is incapable of detecting any ultimate meaning to life, any unfolding plan into which every part fits. A person might think there is, might think that there's someone who knows it. Perhaps a child growing up thinks, well, certainly the pastor understands that. He sure acts like it, a child might think, you know. He sure speaks in fine ways. I don't understand most of it. But when that child is 12 and his friend dies in a snowmobile accident, for the first time he's confronted with death, and he goes to the funeral, and he sits there and he listens to the pastor, he realizes he doesn't have an answer either. He can't make sense out of this. Nothing that could be said could make sense out of the tragic death of a 12-year-old. Nothing can explain, at least I would never even attempt to explain to grieving parents, how this fits in with some ultimate purpose, some tapestry that will show itself in the end to be grand and comprehensive, and each part fits in. This is a truth so impacting to the human life that we cannot discern any ultimate meaning, that it calls for a response. And what I want to say this morning is there's two ways of responding to that. One is the way that the modern world is responding, and the other is the way that the Scripture encourages us to respond. 
th this demands, in a sense, whether or not you've ever thought about it in the terms that I just described, but this idea that you can't discern any ultimate purpose or meaning to existence, it's almost like we are required as human beings to respond to that, and so we do. We respond in the way we live and the way we feel and the way we, we think. But if we affirm that we are incapable of discerning an ultimate, comprehensive purpose for existence, meaning with capital letters and bold letters, what is the response to that? Well, one is what I'm going to call the modern, or you could call it the postmodern response if you think in those terms. It's the dominant worldview today, and it goes like this. Here is the, the deduction drawn from the fact that we cannot comprehend any ultimate meaning in this world. The modern conclusion is there is no meaning. There is no meaning to existence. That is the dominant conclusion of the world today. It hasn't always been that way, but it is the dominant conclusion today. There is no ultimate meaning to life. There is no meta-meaning into which your life could ever fit. It is just a vast uh, experience of chance and time that you were cast into when you were born into this world. That conclusion has been drawn by philosophers and intellectuals for about 200 years. But it took about 200 years for it to make its way down into the classroom so that even in kindergarten, children are taught some aspect of this because it is the dominant worldview. There is no ultimate meaning to life. There is meanings, plural, any meaning that you can ascribe to something. But there is no ultimate meaning. Life is just a combination of chance and time. Now, I want you to note that that conclusion is not the one that Scripture draws. That is a conclusion of the fact that Scripture affirms that the human mind, unaided, living on a horizontal plane, thinking only in materialistic terms, the human mind is incapable of discerning any ultimate meaning. A conclusion that can be drawn is there is no ultimate meaning, but that's not the one that Scripture encourages us to draw. There's a difference between affirming that we can't understand meaning and affirming that, therefore, there is no meaning. And what I'm saying is that is the conclusion drawn, but it's not the only conclusion that can be drawn. The Bible simply affirms that we can't understand it. We can't understand it for two reasons, according to the Bible. One is our creatureliness, and the other is our fallenness. One is that we are creatures, and there is a creator from the Bible's perspective. The creatures are dependent on every level. We don't self-exist. We depend on a world that provides us with an atmosphere in which we can live. And ultimately, Scripture would say we depend on God for our next breath. God himself, however, is different. He is independent, self-existing. He depends on nothing. And how could we as creatures understand the purposes of a creator? We couldn't do that. That's our creatureliness. But our fallenness is that there is something bent in human nature that we call sin, and that bent, turns us away from God so that we won't draw the conclusions that we should consistently every time. Scripture tells us clearly in Romans chapter 1 that every human being knows intuitively that there is a God of infinite power, of greatness. It doesn't reveal to us the character of God, whether he's good or not, but we should know just by the order of creation and the complexity of a human being that God exists. 
And it says in Romans 1, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor give thanks to him, but their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like man and beasts and birds and even reptiles. That the human mind is incapable of consistently drawing the conclusion that creation uh, drives us towards because of our fallenness. So those two things combine to, to make us incapable of understanding <clears throat> comprehensive meaning. But the modern mind draws a conclusion. There is no meaning to life. There is no ultimate meaning. There's no purpose being worked out. So it draws a second conclusion that has to do with meaning in a life sense. It, what it says is, so you have to create your own meaning in life. You choose to create meaning, and it can be anything that you choose to ascribe meaning to. And so that's what most people are in the process of doing. As they go through life, they're taught you create your own reality, your own meaning, not just daily in the sense of you choose which activities to, to engage in every day. You have an agenda of plans, that what you need to do that day. But somehow, you're seeking to give a meaning to your life that will help you to move through this world. And yet, Scripture would say that that doesn't work. That you can't have no meaning, no ultimate meaning, and create any meaning that makes sense for you. It's like combining an irrational statement, there is no meaning, there is no ultimate meaning to life, which is irrational because it demands that there be meaning to be able to put together the meaningful sentence. Sorry for being so philosophical. But it, it, it doesn't work to then say, but I'm going to create my own meaning in a world, a universe that has no meaning. And so we have to add a third thing to it. The modern world says there is no meaning to existence, but I must create my own meaning with no assurance that my life will make any difference. That's because the scriptural arguments still hold true. If we can't cause adversity or prosperity, nothing we do will determine what we experience in the future with any certainty. If we can't um, guarantee justice in this world, sometimes wickedness is rewarded in this world, uh, and sometimes righteousness is uh, recompensed. And if... Um, if it's true that we can't make sense of our own lives, then how can it be that we could create meaning? So we have to try to create meaning in life with no assurance that your life will make any difference. That's the dilemma of modern life. That's what people are struggling with over and over again, according to Scripture. That's the crisis of meaning that people talk about. The Bible encourages us to take a different deduction from it. It agrees with the modern world that this conclusion is accurate. Solomon says he drew it in 1000 BC. Having looked at all of life, he drew the conclusion that the human mind under the sun is incapable of discerning any ultimate meaning to existence. We're incapable of understanding how all of the tragic things that we experience in life could ever fit into some grand plan and in the end vindicate the goodness and the power of God. We can't comprehend how that could be. But the conclusion that we're encouraged to draw is this. Life has an ultimate meaning, even if I can't discern it. 
You see, that's, an, that's a logical conclusion of it. The fact that we can't discern ultimate meaning and that it's under the sun doesn't mean that there is no ultimate meaning. It simply means that we can't discern it, but we can choose to believe there is an ultimate meaning. Let me give you an example. I use a computer every day. I don't have a clue what goes on inside my computer. I don't understand anything about writing code. I don't understand anything about a microprocessor or anything like that. All I really know is that when I push the T, a T shows up on the screen. And that's all I need to know. I can use a computer and make it do wonderful things if I believe that there is a rational, logical, meaningful existence to the computer. It does something. Then I can use it. If I don't believe that, I'm not going to use it. And it's not going to be of any value to me. I can drive a car. I don't know anything about an internal combustion engine. Well, I know a little bit, but not enough to fix your car. And, and, and the fact is, if I believe that there is a logical, meaningful, rational way in which a car functions, I don't have to understand how it functions to make it get me from one point to another point. And in the same way, when I live in the world, I do not have to understand how all the things I experience in life could ever fit together in any rational, logical, meaningful way to carry out an ultimate purpose of God. I don't have to understand that to acknowledge that that's true and I want to participate in it. That's the conclusion the Bible encourages us to ask. Life has an ultimate meaning, even if I don't detect it or understand it. And with that in mind, I want you to look at the last two verses of the book. This is how he closes the book. He draws the conclusion for us. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, excuse me, 13 and 14. You know he's drawing a conclusion because he says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Okay, I've said everything I have to say. Here's my conclusion. This is going to disappoint you. Here's his conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, here's what he means. If we draw the conclusion that Scripture affirms we should draw from the fact that under the sun we can't discern any ultimate meaning, if we draw the proper conclusion, which is there is an ultimate meaning to existence, even if I can't discern it. There is someday going to be an understanding of why that teenager took his life to his great pain because of his great pain emotionally and great pain to his parents and friends and so many other people, something we could never understand in this world. But there is somehow in the eternal purpose of God the unfolding of a plan into which even that makes sense. If we accept that, we don't have to understand how it works. But what we can choose to do is then say the second thing, personal meaning. I can make my personal life fit into God's ultimate purpose if I do what he says, the end of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments. To fear God means, at least in this place, has nothing to do with terror or the emotional feeling of fear. It simply means to acknowledge his right to rule over your life. To fear God means to acknowledge that he has a right to bring into your life the things that he brings in, to deal with you in the ways that he seeks to deal with you, to cause you to make choices as to whether you will 
trust and obey him or whether you'll turn away from him and do your own thing because you're angry and hurt. Fear God and keep his commandments. What you say is, because there is an ultimate meeting, even though I can't discern it, then I am going to choose to fear and obey God because my life can contribute to God's ultimate purpose even if I don't experience it now. Now, you see the difference? If there is no ultimate meaning, how can you create a personal meaning, which people are in a mad rush to do in life today? But if there is an ultimate meaning, you can say, I want to contribute to that ultimate meaning with my own life by doing what God tells me to do. He says, this is the whole duty of man. This is what God requires of human beings, is to trust and obey him. That is ultimately what it means. I knew a woman, an older woman when I knew her, who um, was a very gifted woman, and she worked at a job. She was about 50 years old when her life took a turn drastically different than she thought. She was about 50 years old, and, and uh, she had raised her children, and she had a job that she loved, and she had a husband, and she anticipated that she would spend the next 15 or 20 years of her life working, and they had not been able to save money in the raising of their children, and so they would save money for retirement and be able to retire together. She would spend time with her grandchildren and, and all of those things that she'd wanted to do. But when she was in her early 50s, her husband's mother began to display the signs of Alzheimer's disease. Husband's mother had no money, and they had no money, and so they were put in a position of caring for his mother, and at first she was able to work and, in the side, help her mother-in-law, who was beginning to struggle with her mental and physical decline, but eventually it required more than her job would allow, and she had to quit her job and stop the income that her job allowed them to have and the saving for the future, and for the next 12 years, she took care of her husband's mother. It wasn't even her mother, but because she loved her husband and she believed in God. She took care of her husband's mother. She fed her and clothed her every day, changed her diapers, got up in the middle of the night, took her to her appointments, all the different things she had to do until eventually she declined and she died. The woman obviously had missed many things in life that she wanted, but she anticipated, well, now I'll be able to spend time with my grandchildren and maybe I'll work for a couple more years. But in less than two years, her husband came down with Alzheimer's disease. And she spent the next 10 years of her life caring for her husband until he died. Now she was 75 years old, had very little saved, you know, to her, for her declining years, was really past the age of working, and her life had not unfolded the way she thought. It wasn't the script she would have written for her life, Right? But this woman was a Christian, and, and she believed that God has an ultimate purpose, even though she couldn't grasp it, and it was very painful for her to think, I guess somehow these experiences that I am having fit into that because I know God wants me to be faithful to the family relationships that I have in life and the responsibilities that I don't see another way of fulfilling. And so I'm going to do that. And she did it faithfully, and she said at the end, that not only was it very painful, but it was glorious. Remember those words. It was glorious to know that God will hold her accountable 
not for having enjoyed life to the fullest or for having obeyed his commandments. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. In other words, the grim truth of the Bible is that God holds us responsible ultimately for the choices that we make. We either make choices to obey him, as difficult as they might be, or we make choices to disobey him. Life, the Bible seems to picture, is like this magnificent tapestry that when you see it like a Persian rug, it unfolds a story of immense complexity that goes from the creation of the world to the new creation at the end of the book of Revelation. And into that story, everything unfolds and has a part. And that woman believed that maybe in one square millimeter of that unfolding purpose of God, her life story would be pictured. But you know how a tapestry is? If you look at it from the back, it makes absolutely no sense. From the back, it's just a conglomeration of colors and loose ends that aren't tied off, and you couldn't imagine that there was any meaning to what you see on the back of a tapestry, and that's what life is to us today. It's like we see the purpose of God, but we see it from the back, and we can't discern any ultimate meaning or purpose to existence. Eventually, we'll find out, oh, that's what God was doing. And that's how our life fit in. So God's call to you today is not to make meaning out of your life. It's to believe that there is meaning. The meaning is far greater than you could ever comprehend or think. The the ultimate comprehensive meaning of all things is tied up in God who fulfills all things according to the purpose of his will, Ephesians chapter 1. And you can choose to give your life meaning, not by determining your own meaning, but by ascribing meaning to all the things that you are responsible for and all the things that God brings into your life. The script of your life will probably be very much different from the woman that I just described. It may include many better things than I described her experiencing in the last third of her life. But Scripture affirms that God has a purpose and that we choose to be a part of that by trusting him, obeying him. Let's be the kind of people who do that. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you that you alone are God. There is no other, and we want no other. We acknowledge that you alone have a plan that you are unfolding. I alone am the Lord, you said through Isaiah. I know the end from the beginning From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And we choose to trust that, Father, and believe that you are unfolding your purposes. Allow us not to try to comprehend what that means, but to seek to be a part of it in the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.